Welcome to the Doe Valley Ministry Podcast, where you can find faithful teaching and preaching of the Word of God. Our Gospel lesson this morning is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verses 38 to 50. Finish up the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 9, this morning. Now John answered him, saying, Teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow us. But Jesus said, Do not forbid him, for no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is on our side. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, assuredly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame rather than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye, rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be seasoned with fire, and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. This is the word of our Lord. Salt makes a difference. And our scripture reading this morning continues with the theme that we saw last week. That is of humility and being like children. After Jesus' teaching about humility, apparently John's conscience was bothering him by something that he had either done or he had witnessed. So John speaks up and explains that they had caught someone casting out demons in the name of Jesus. And they tried to prevent the man from doing that because he was not a part of their group. Apparently Jewish exorcisms were relatively common. This man was using the name of Jesus to cast these demons out. And that's not surprising because that's how they performed these rituals. These exorcists used the names of powerful figures, powerful historical figures maybe, to perform these rituals. The surprising thing here is the fact that Jesus' name worked. This man, this exorcist, was actually able to cast out a demon in the name of Jesus. This tells me that this man, this exorcist, was not a fraud. He was just not calling on the name of Jesus for his own benefit. But he was a true believer in Jesus Christ. John and the other disciples opposed this man because they did not know him. He wasn't openly and officially a member of their group. So John or some of the other disciples said, you can't do that. You can't use the name of Jesus because you're not a 
part of our group. And John comes to Jesus and tells him this story. And Jesus orders them not to hinder the exorcist. He says, anyone who is sincerely working for me in my name is not going to quickly and easily turn from me. As we've said before, there is no neutral ground with Jesus. If uh, those who are not against Jesus are on his side. But by the same token, those who are not with him are against him. And Jesus considers acts of kindness done to his followers as if you were doing those acts of kindness to Jesus himself. So John is kind of talking about this, this other person that is using the name of Jesus, but not really a part of their group. And Jesus says, don't do that. Just because we don't know who he is, you don't know who he is, doesn't mean he's not a follower of mine. And now the point of this passage as we relate it today is not really necessarily about denominations as we call them today, but there is the application there. We can apply that today. Just because we aren't Lutherans or we aren't Catholics doesn't mean that our goal should be to shut those churches down or to stop them from doing what they're doing. Or in the same respects, just because we're not following all the rules of the United Methodist Book of Discipline doesn't mean that someone's not a follower of Jesus Christ. The true test is allegiance to Jesus. That is what is essential for fellowship. And it's a a call to cooperate with him and his followers, the body of Christ. That is the church. Not just necessarily this church or a particular denomination, but for all those who truly proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And as I said before, the the Catholics claim Peter as their founding father. And that's fine. They can go ahead and do so. The Baptists claim John the Baptist as their founding father. And that's fine too. And sometimes some of the hardcore Baptists would say, well, we are the only true church. We go back further than the Catholics because we believe John the Baptist started this. Well, you know what? It doesn't matter. As we saw from last week's discussion, we don't even need to have discussions about who is better, who's going to get the better place in the kingdom of heaven, who's going to sit on the right hand or the left hand side. We're all followers of Jesus Christ. We need to be humble and serve others by serving God. Or serve God by serving others. And it doesn't matter who we're working with, if we're working with other denominations, or if we're working by ourselves. Our goal is to humbly serve God. But from that point, after that discussion, Jesus kind of moves into talking uh, about uh, from children to actually discipleship in our scripture this morning. God takes care of his children as a father would take care of his children. And think about it as you were raising your kids. If someone messed with your son or your daughter, you are pretty upset. 
You wanted to find out what was going on. You wanted to put a stop to it. You wanted to do whatever it takes to resolve the problem. Well, God feels the same way about us, about his children. Anyone who tries to trick or trip up a Christian is going to be in a lot of trouble. Jesus said it would be better if a millstone was hung around his neck and cast into the sea. A millstone was uh, a very, very large stone that was used to grind grain. And it would have taken uh, an animal to to turn the rock to the stone to grind the grain. That's how large it was. It was a huge, huge stone. And this would be a, a horrifying death, uh, especially to the Gentiles. Essentially, they would tie this person, uh, tie a rope around their neck, tie it to this stone, this huge rock, and cast it into the, the sea. And it would, they, that person would sink so fast that they wouldn't have a a chance to escape. There would be no chance of survival. And it was a horrifying death to the people of this time. But Jesus says even this type of death would be better if you led a believer into sin. Now living in this world today, it's pretty much impossible for us to avoid all temptations and all sinful situations. But the thing is, we cannot avoid a responsibility when we cause another person to stumble. And we cannot avoid the personal responsibility of our own sin. We cannot say, well, it's not my problem, the devil made me do it. We cannot say that. And then Jesus goes on to talk about different body parts that, that may cause you to sin. And he talks about removing them. Now normally, you know, I pretty much read and interpret the, the Bible from a literal standpoint of it says what it says. But there are cases, some of the parables and things, that there are figures and different types of uh, messages being conveyed. And this is one of the places where you interpret the Bible figuratively. Because there's no amount of self-mutilation that is going to deal with our sin. You know, whether we're cutting off our hands or our feet or plucking out our eyes, sin comes from the heart, as we've seen before. So Jesus is not advocating self-mutilation. He's not telling us to cut our hands off or our feet off or anything like that. He's simply conveying and emphasizing the seriousness of sin and the need to deal with it appropriately, drastically, and immediately. It's simply what we've talked about before. It's a call for repentance, a call to a changed life. You know, as I've used the example before, you know, flee from sin. Whenever you find a, a sinful situation developing, get out of there. Just leave. Whether maybe you're just sitting watching TV, turn the channel, turn the TV off. Or if you're in a particular situation, get out of there. Leave. Do what you need to do to flee the situation. 
Because if not, if if you are not uh, changing your lifestyle, that would call into question whether or not you believe the gospel. Because the gospel is a call to a changed lifestyle, to repentance. And if you haven't changed your lifestyle and you aren't saved, Jesus gives us a very vivid description of hell here. And a lot of times it's referred to as uh, Gehenna or Gehenna. That was the name of a valley south of Jerusalem. And it was a garbage dump. And in that garbage dump, there was a fire that was constantly burning. People took their garbage there and there was a fire that was always burning and they, they burnt their garbage. And it would have been all kinds of garbage and waste and things like that. So the smell was no doubt repulsive. And the heat would have been intense. So that became a picture to these people of God's eternal place of punishment. And many people, uh, you know, that want to deny the, the picture of hell, they say, well, hell is never listed or how is never named in the Bible. And they're true. That word is not used. But the picture is here of this garbage dump that was burning with the worms and uh, the fire and the smell. That is the depiction of God's eternal place of punishment. And finally, in verse 49 this morning, we see a difficult statement from Jesus. He says, for everyone who will be salted with fire, everyone will be salted with fire. What does that mean? The next verse, verse 50, tells us that salt is good. But looking back at verse 48 tells us fire is bad. So is this good or bad for us? And there's been many different explanations about this. But when you think about salt in the context of especially their day, salt was an essential ingredient before refrigeration. Uh, maybe even some of you, if you grew up on a, you know, a farm out here, you probably didn't have electricity, maybe till the 60s, maybe. So yeah, you, you probably remember salting food for a, for a while, or your parents salting the food to preserve it. And that's what they did back in the olden days, huh? Back in biblical times, they used salt as a preservative. Today, we pretty much just use salt to make the, taste, the food taste better and uh, increase our blood pressure. That's pretty much what we use salt for. But the way I understand this verse is Jesus essentially saying, look, I've told you before, anyone that's going to follow me must deny himself and take up his cross. It's not going to be easy to follow me. So you can either suffer with me in this world now, suffer for me in this world now, or if you're not with me now, you will suffer later and eternally if you're not walking with me. So that's kind of how I interpret what he's saying, what he's saying here. Everyone is going to be solid with fire. 
either you're going to feel difficulties and pressures, maybe persecution now as you're walking with Jesus in this world, or if you're not walking with Jesus right now, you're enjoying the worldly life, you're going to suffer later and eternally. Part of salt, part of its attributes is purification as well. It preserves the meat or whatever food, the fish, whatever food it's, it's to preserve. And part of that, being salt in this world, is also that we are purified through the suffering that we feel from the world and through the persecution that we receive from the world. So when he says to have salt in yourself, he's saying that the work of God and the Holy Spirit of God in your life will produce godliness and will enable you to act as a preservative to this world. So yes, on one hand, if we're salt, we'll be salted with fire, we'll feel some suffering, we'll feel some persecution now, but we'll also act as a preservative to this world. If we can spread the word to some other people, and they can then be salty as well. So what do we get out of Jesus' teachings this morning? Well, for one thing, we share a common faith with other Christians, with our brothers and sisters in Christ, no matter the denomination, no matter the particular church building they attend to. If they are a true follower of Christ, we share in the body of Christ with them. And since we share in that common faith, we also share in that common goal. And that is to live out the Word of God with our lives and to proclaim the Word of God with our lives. Now, don't misunderstand me. I believe correct theology is important. And no doubt there are some churches, they call themselves churches, that have a different theology. But we don't necessarily need that, you know, especially if they just have different rituals. We don't need to use that as an excuse to avoid doing what we're supposed to be doing for God. If the people are truly on Jesus' side, then they'll have the same goal. And there might be personal differences, but they should not interfere with God's ultimate plan. And finally, Jesus uses extremely disturbing language to stress the importance of removing sin from our lives. Discipleship is not easy. And painful discipline is always required of true and faithful followers of Jesus Christ. It might require you to give up a job, a relationship, maybe a habit that's pulling you away from God. But nothing should stand in your way of carrying out your faith. And as salt makes a difference in the way food tastes, we too should make a difference in the lives of those people that we come into contact with. When we lose that desire, to be salt to the earth and to salt the earth with the gospel, we become useless to God.
So don't lose your saltiness. Remember who you are and whose you are and why you are here. Think about that and how you can make a difference in the lives of people you meet this week. Think about how you can be salt to this world. Let's close with a word of prayer. Lord, help make us to be salt of this earth. Help us to make a difference in our surroundings. And help us to reach out to others in faith to minister to the world. But most importantly, help us to recognize and remove the sin from our lives and help us to truly be the salty people you want us to be. Amen.